Welcome to part two of a six-week series called The Five Things That God Uses to Grow Your Faith. We started last week um, with this idea that God wants you to have big faith. We think about that. That's what God wants for your life. He wants you to trust Him for anything. And we talked last week that that this series was originally produced by Andy Stanley and their church. And and Andy talks about how um, in his history as a pastor, when he would talk with people and he would say, hey, just tell me about your spiritual journey. There would be these five things that people would often point to and say, those are the things that God used to grow my faith. And today we're going to be talking about one of those things, and it's practical teaching. Practical teaching. Now, like we talked about last week, this isn't a list that you're going to find in the Bible. Uh, You don't find this list, you know, hidden away somewhere secret in Deuteronomy, for example. This is just a list, an observation of pastors. As, As we talk with people, these five things come up. And what's so interesting is that I imagine in a room like this that there would be many of you that would say, God has used practical teaching in my life to grow my faith. I mean, you you think about it. You think, in your life, have you ever sat in a church service and you heard a sermon and it really resonated with where you were at at the time? And the information that you learned during that service, it really changed your life. It changed how you related to God or it changed how you were living out your faith. Maybe it was a sermon on forgiveness, for example. Or maybe you were a, a, a small child in a, in a Sunday school classroom and your teacher was teaching something and it, it just changed the way that you related to God and you believed in a big God and it affected you and it caused you to be different. Maybe it was in a, uh, you know, when you were in college and you were part of a campus ministry and you met with a group of people and you studied the scripture together and through the teaching um, in this campus ministry, boy, the Lord really spoke to you and it changed your life. It grew your faith. Maybe it was in a small group. Maybe uh, you have a habit of, of listening to radio preaching. You know, while you're driving someplace, you, you turn on the radio and listen to um, listen to messages that, that, that guys are given. Uh, maybe it's watching television or listening to a sermon online, or maybe it, it is simply with a, a, a person that you meet with regularly and you study the scriptures together. Now, I'm going to ask you to participate in something. Everybody has to participate. Okay. How many of you would say that in some way the Lord has used practical teaching to grow your faith? Raise your hand. Yeah, I mean, 
This morning, I don't have to convince anyone that God uses practical teaching in our lives. It's just a fact. It's reality. It's the way God has designed it. But what I want to do this morning is I want to talk through some things, some observations that I have. When it comes to practical teaching, what are some things that we can do to position ourselves where practical teaching can be used by God in our lives to grow our faith? Okay? That's what I want to look at. How can we position ourselves so that God can use practical teaching in our lives? Now, the first one is this, and this is a no-brainer, but I want you to write it down anyway. Regularly expose yourself to practical teaching. That's a no-brainer, right? I mean, if God uses practical teaching in our lives to, to grow our faith, then guess what? We need to regularly expose ourselves to practical teaching. We need to go places where the Bible is being taught. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? I'd like for you to turn to the book of Romans, chapter 10. Now, in, in Romans, chapter 10, Paul gives this argument. And specifically, he's talking about the Word of God uh, being preached unto salvation. He's talking about the gospel being proclaimed so that people can be saved. But I want you to hear his reasoning, his logic here in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I just have to pause right there. If you are, are, are the type of person that underlines things in your Bible, you need, and you don't have this verse underlined, you need to get that out, and you need to get a pen right now, and you need to underline that verse. Friends, um, do you hear what Paul just reminded us of? It's the, it's the truth of the gospel. And it's the glorious hope that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that fantastic news for you this morning? You're going to have to give me a little feedback and at least nod your head to tell me that, or I'm going to dwell on this because if you don't believe this morning that this is good news that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, we're just, we don't need to talk about anything further because this is good news. Garrett, you're nodding your head, buddy. You believe it's good news? I believe it's good news too. It's good news. And Paul says this is good news, but he goes on and he says, how then... Can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they, they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Do you hear Paul's logic here? He says, this glorious truth that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a wonderful, wonderful truth. But how can they ever get to that point unless the word of God is preached? And friends, this is the method. It may seem archaic. It may seem like, man, in our modern day culture, gosh, there's got to be a better you know, method to, to help people grow in their faith. But this is the way that God has designed it. That the word of God would be preached. That men would be sent and that the word of God would be preached and that people would hear and that they would have the opportunity to believe and be saved. And in our modern culture today, that may seem archaic, but when you, when you think about it, 
For thousands and thousands of years now, this is the method, the tool, the methodology that God has used to help people get it and to help people grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but if that is true, if Paul's argument is true when it comes to the Word of God, then we have to ask ourselves the question, how can I believe if I haven't heard? It's true of the Gospel, and it's true of, it's true of other biblical truths. How can I learn about forgiving people who have wronged me if I don't ever hear that? If I'm never taught that? How can I hear about you know, God's design for my family and for my marriage if, if I'm never taught that? How, how can I you know, learn about biblical finance if nobody ever teaches that to me? How can I, how can I learn about loving my neighbor if, if that's never taught in a way that I can understand it and apply it to my life? And so, friends, we have to start with this very pr- basic premise that we need to regularly expose ourselves to practical teaching. Now, this is why, as pastors, it breaks our heart when people miss church for a long time. It, it really has nothing to do with our ego. You know, we don't get some kind of a, you know, a thrill. Well, it is thrilling to preach to a big crowd of people. Don't get me wrong. But it's not like, we're, like we're, our feelings are hurt or like we take it personally. Oh, they don't like me. You know, if they don't show up to church. It's because we believe that God has given us a message that if you'll hear it and you'll apply it to your life, it's going to change your life. We really believe that. We really believe that the Word of God is, is alive and it's active. And when you... Let it work into your life. It changes stuff. It changes attitudes and it changes relationships. And ultimately, it turns you, causes you to go down the road of being the person that God wants you to be. And so, friends, if, if exposing yourself to practical teaching isn't a priority in your life, you need to make it one. Uh, I think that means coming to church regularly. I think that means, you know finding other methods, other means by which you can be exposed to God's Word being taught in a practical way. Maybe that's in a small group or a Bible study or a Sunday school class or maybe that's by setting some time aside and and listening to to a pastor that you like online or finding some radio uh, broadcasts that you like and you can listen to them while you drive to work or whatever that looks like. But you need to regularly expose yourself to practical teaching. The second thing that I would say is this. Attendance is not the measurement of success. Obedience is. You see, when I say that, you know, you need to regularly expose yourself to practical teaching. I don't want you to get the idea that attendance is A number one. Like, that's the thing that you're searching for is perfect attendance, as if, you know, when you get to heaven, God is going to look at your attendance record and be really impressed if you have 100% attendance. See, it's not attendance that we're aiming for. It's not the measurement of success. Obedience is. Obedience is. I'd like for you to, to look at the book of James. And we, we just got done reading some words from the Apostle Paul. Now we're going to read some, some words from James. Later we're going to hear some words of Jesus. And what you need to know is that this idea that, that uh, 
That practical teaching as a tool is not just from, from one of the writers of the New Testament. We're talking, this is a major theme throughout the New Testament that God uses practical teaching in our lives to grow our faith. Look at James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. What a great verse. If you want to just, you know, if you're the kind of blunt person that, I don't want all the frills, just tell me like it is. There it is. You ought to underline it. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. He goes on, verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. We hear it sometimes said where people say, you know, that was a great message. It just didn't, didn't go with me outside the doors. It didn't even make it to the car with me. You know, that's what he's talking about here. But, verse 25, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Do you hear what, what, what James is saying is so true in our lives? That if our measurement of success is simply by attendance, we're really missing the point. The goal is not just to hear the Word of God preached, teached, taught. That would be proper, right? Taught. The Word of God taught. But the real measurement that we need to, to be evaluating in our, in our life is, is this actually getting done? Is this actually getting done? A third thing that I would say is this, and this ties right into this previous point. It says, approach teaching with an expectant attitude. Approach teaching with an expectant attitude. See, I think there's a mis... Um, uh, a missed uh, way of thinking, a missed way of thinking, because I think oftentimes we think that information I O N information leads to action or change or obedience. You know, I, I think this is oftentimes the way we think. It's like, well, okay, I've got this new information and so that's going to change my life. And what I really need is I just need the information. But that's not true not true. Ever since Christmas, um, my wife and I have had this conversation from time to time, and it's, it goes something like this. You may have had these conversations, too. We really need to get into shape. Have you had these conversations? <laughs> we really need to get into shape. I like having the conversation. I mean, I, I like the conversation. It's like, yeah, of course, we need to get into shape. That's a, that's a great idea. In fact, she'll, she'll bring it up. We, need, we really need to start working out, getting into shape, losing some weight, whatever it is. I like having the conversation. It's like, you're exactly right. In fact, it would be great. Let's do that. Let's do it. Let's get into shape. But the other day, she was at her sister's house, and when I got home from work, on the table was a stack of DVDs, and the label on the DVDs was... T25. 
Do you know what T25 is? You haven't seen the infomercials for this? It's the, like, it's a 25-minute workout, but it is ridiculously hard. Ridiculously hard. And as soon as I saw it, I thought to myself, I really like the conversation. (laughs) The conversation about getting into shape. And I really like thinking about getting into shape. And I really like the thought of me being in, in shape. But getting into shape, I don't like that at all. In fact, I hate that. And I avoid that. But here it is, you know. Once you talk it up and you're like, yeah, we should do this, we should get into shape, then you have to do it. Like, you have to at least try, right? And that's what I did. I tried. I lasted for, what, five minutes, maybe, in the workout. She's laughing because I was whining the whole time. It's like, I can't even get coordinated with what the guy's doing on the thing. And then my abs started cramping, and I was like, this is, I'm done. I'm done. But let's face it, I mean, just having information or knowing we need to change something or knowing that, you know, something is a good idea, that it should be a part of our lives, doesn't lead to action. There has to be something that's missing. Something that's missing here. And I think, I think, and again, this is my observation, this is my theory. I think what we're missing in the middle is the right attitude See, I think information is filtered through our attitude. And if we don't have the right attitude, there is nothing going to be getting done from the information. Isn't that right? If we don't have the right attitude towards this, nothing's going to get done. And so, you know, in the, in the case of working out, you know, I have this information, but I don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. And so nothing's, nothing ever happens. And the same thing is true in our lives when it comes to practical biblical teaching. Because the information in and of itself never leads to any action if our attitudes aren't in the right spot. And can you notice this in your life? Can you notice? I, I can notice it in my life. I know that if, my, if, if I'm not open to what's being taught, if my heart's not in the right place, if my attitude stinks, I may as well have stayed home because nothing's going to change in my life. Nothing's going to happen. I've completely shut myself off to what God may want to do in my life. I'd like for you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 8. Book of Luke, chapter 8. Let's face it, sometimes we just have bad attitudes, don't we? And if you can't say that about yourself, at least turn to the person next to you and say, you have a bad attitude sometimes. Because it's true. It's true. We have bad attitudes sometimes. Turn to the book of Luke, uh, chapter 8. And this is a familiar parable that Jesus taught. And I want you, as, you, as we read this, this this morning, to approach it with an open attitude. God, would you teach me something about myself through this parable. Check it out. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and it was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up, and some fell on rock. And when it came up, 
The plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. And then his disciples asked him what this parable meant. And by the way, it doesn't happen very often that Jesus explains the parable himself. But in this instance, he does. And so we would do well to listen to what he says. Verse 10, he said, The knowledge of the, king, of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is what? The word of God. The seed is the word of God, and those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy, and they hear it, but they have no root, and they believe for a while. But in the time of testing, they fall away, and the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Now, when you think about that, Jesus is talking about the word of God falling on people's lives. And I think he's talking about the gospel. I think he's talking about the gospel, you know, because he talks about those who hear it and takes root and, and you know, that, that, that they're saved by this. But friends, the principle is so true in our lives that when the word of God is taught, if that seed does not fall on good soil, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Nothing. It's going to wither away. It may not even ever take root. Or if it does take root, it may get choked out by the worries of the world. So what do we learn from this? What do we learn? Well, I think what Jesus is really getting at is an attitude. I think what Jesus is really getting at here is our heart. When he, when he talks about the, the, the good soil... He's talking about, he says specifically, this is a person of a noble heart. This is a person that's going to persevere. They're going to, they're going to work this out. It's going to take root and be a part of their lives. And I think what, what Jesus is really getting at here is this attitude. I don't know about you, but I know that my attitude is not always the best when it comes to, to practical teaching. And I know, I can tell you, that there's been times where... Right off the bat, maybe even in the opening remarks, I'm already arguing with the pastor in my head and thinking of ways that I can prove him wrong. And guess what? I've just tuned out for the entire service because my heart is hard. My mind's working. I'm not engaged. I'm not eager for what the Lord would, would be speaking to me. And so when I say approach teaching with an expectant attitude, I think it's a, I think it's a tilling of our soil. It's making sure that we are eager and ready and expecting that God is going to speak to us. And I believe that when 
when we have that kind of expectant attitude, when our heart is in the right spot, when we have done the work that we can do to make sure that we are engaged with what's being taught and listening, how many times have you been in that place and God has spoken to you? It's the method that God uses. Now, I think there are some, some things that we, can, that we can learn from that. We can do what we can do to be in a position to receive the Word of God well. Um, you know, for me, I have to turn my phone off. Because it's convenient having an app on my phone that has the Bible on it, and so it looks like I'm reading my Bible when I'm really actually being fairly distracted. I need to position myself. You know, it's helpful to me. I know my, my mind wanders. It's helpful for me to take notes while someone is listening, to be engaged, to, to you know, have my pen out and be writing things down. And if I disagree with something, to write it down so I can look at it later so I don't have to tune out in that moment and miss what God might be talking to me about. You see what I'm saying? We can do what we can do to approach teaching with an expectant attitude. The fourth thing that I would say is that information is the raw material for obedience. You know, information doesn't lead to obedience. Information is just the raw material for obedience. I was reading on Facebook this week. There was a a, a friend of mine that posted an interesting question, and I was really interested in the replies of people. The question was, if someone from the early 1900s suddenly appeared today, what would be the most difficult thing to explain to them about life today? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Someone from the 1900s just stepped into our culture today. What would be the most difficult thing to explain to them about how our society works today? So I pulled out a few of the answers that I thought, they they gave me a chuckle. One was, our wagons have the power of hundreds of horses that never needed fed or rested, only watered with a special water called gasoline. That's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting to think about. And there, would, there would be no context for what an automobile is. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful way to put that. Another one. There's a device in every home that can heat up food in seconds. Boy, how radical would that be? They wouldn't have any idea of what that would be like. But here was my favorite one. I possess a device in my pocket that's capable of accessing the entirety of information known to man. And I use it to watch stupid videos of cats and get into arguments with people I don't even know. Isn't that interesting? It's a great description. So here you have this device that's able to access all of the information known to man, and you're watching stupid cat videos. Well, friends, it's no less startling than having the entirety of God's will for your life and a plan that will allow you to live the most abundant life possible and using it as decoration on your coffee table. 
See, I think what, what we take for granted here, and another way of saying this, is that we are educated far beyond our level of obedience. We don't need more information. We need to do what we know to do. I'd like for you to turn to Matthew chapter 7, another little passage, a parable that Jesus told. And actually in your small group um, discussions this week, Andy Stanley uh, unpacks this parable of Christ. And I would encourage you that if you aren't a part of a small group, you can go online, northhillsbaptist.net, and you can listen to Andy's teaching on this passage. But those of you that are a part of a small group, um, you're going to be diving into this passage more this week. But this is from Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Let's just stop there for a second. Isn't that interesting that Jesus uses this caveat? And he says, it's not just hearing the words, these, these words of mine. It's both. It's hearing these words and what? Putting them into practice. So let me read that again. Think, think of what Jesus is saying here. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain came down and the streams rose. Does anybody else have the little kid's song going through their head right now? Wise man built his house upon the rock. Right. And the rains came down and the, the floods came up, as the song says, and they beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. See, friends, Jesus implores us here that it's not just hearing the word. It's doing what it says. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And so the final, the final thing that I'll, I'll point out this morning is that the motivation behind application is abundant life. The motivation behind applying what we learn from the scriptures being taught is abundant life. I'd like for you to turn to, to one final verse, John 10.10. 10, and this is another incredible verse from the mouth of Jesus that if you don't have it underlined in your scripture, I'd encourage you to, to underline it. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, at the end of the day, the question that we have to answer is, do I believe that living the way of Jesus is the best way to live? At the end of the day, the question is, is the, the, the scripture and, the, and what I'm taught here, the, the, my attitudes, my actions, the way that I live my life, 
are these teachings of Jesus the best way to live? Or, and this is going to sound harsh, but go with me, or is Jesus a liar? See, because my scripture says, and this is from the mouth of Christ, and he said, I have come that you can have life and have it to the full. That tells me that living the way of Jesus is the fullest, some translations say, and have it abundantly. It's the most abundant way to live. And if that's true, friends, why aren't we doing what it says? Why are we searching for how to have the best life possible when the the words of Jesus are, do it this way and you will have the most abundant life? See, I think the goal of of many people's obedience, you know, or their their application is for the star on their their little deal. You know, so they hear a sermon on forgiveness and so they they forgive and and their, their whole motivation behind that is so that God will be happy with me. And it's not a bad thing to make God happy with you, but the motivation really should be, this is the best way to live. This is the best thing for you, to not carry around forgiveness. Or the, the idea of, uh, you know, I'm coming to church today because I, I, I don't want to miss. God's going to be mad at me. No, it's the wrong motivation. The motivation is, I believe that the words of Jesus are powerful and when I obey them, it's the best possible way to live. I need to to learn from the scriptures being taught how I can live my life so that I can have life to the full. We've got this uh, device in our car. This would be an interesting one to try and explain to someone from the 1900s as well. Uh, We call her Minerva Louise but it's the voice of our GPS in our car. We call it Minerva Louise. um, I think GPS is such an interesting thing because either you trust it or you don't. Either you, you trust what it's saying and you obey it, you follow the directions, you follow what you're being told to do, or you don't. And when I don't follow, it's because I don't believe she knows what she's talking about. (laughs) It's like, you're telling me to turn left? I don't think that's a good idea. I'll bet I could get there faster. Now, after you make a few wrong turns, after you go down that road and, you know, it ends up in a place where you, you didn't need to go or whatever that is, after a few times of doing that, your trust in the little device begins to increase and you begin to, to see, you know what? She really does know what she's talking about. I don't know if it's just me and my hearing, but after about the third time that uh, the little device says, recalculating, I seem to notice some contempt in her voice. Do you ever hear that? Maybe it's just the way that I hear it. I'm sure it's just the same way all the time, but I seem to hear this, this voice of recalculating, you know, like, get your mind together. But the... The idea, friends, is that you either trust it or you don't. And my question to you when it comes to your uh, level of uh, openness to the Word of God being taught, do you believe that it's the best possible way to live? Do you believe that God's desire for your life is that you would have life and life to the full? 
Do you believe that the words of Jesus are true and that they're life-giving? Do you believe that God wants you to live the most abundant life possible? And so for, for us today, I think when it comes to the, the, the practical application of this, for some, for me, the big thing that God wants to do in my life is change my attitude and I imagine that's true for, for many in the room, that what we really need to do is we need to, we need to come back to this and say, we don't need more information. You know, we need to, to apply what, we've already, what we already know. For some, it's a priority of, of being exposed more to practical teaching. I mean, if you feel like you just don't know what to do, if you don't know what, you know, what God's plan is for your family and for your marriage and for your, you know, your finances and for your your church life and how to, how to have a relationship with Him, you need more information. You need to expose yourself regularly to practical teaching. And I think even for others that, that, that we need to understand that God isn't looking for our perfect attendance. He's looking for our perfect obedience. He wants us to trust Him in faith fully. So, as we close the service, the ushers are going to come and take our, our morning offering and the worship team is going to come and, and lead us in a final song here this morning. And I would encourage you, uh, as you meet together in your groups and as you consider this throughout the week, what is it that, what is it that God would want to expose in your life? and How is it that, that He would like to, to take your faith and make it big? Because I believe, friends, that that's God's desire for all of us, that we would have big faith and be open. Prepare the soil. Make your, make your life such that, that God has the opportunity to speak into your heart. Would you bow as we close in prayer this morning? Lord, I want to thank you that your word is alive and active, and I want to thank you for the way that you've used uh, practical teaching in my life through great pastors that I've sat under and I've um, observed and that I've heard from and that have taught me. And Lord, I want to thank you for the way that you've used that in my life to grow my faith. And I pray that you would help all of us to do what we can do to make ourselves available and ready for you to speak into our lives through the living power of your word. Help us to obey. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.